0: This talk aired on December 2nd, 2020 for our series Friends of Lifeline. The speaker is Lamar Jackson, the youth director of Madison Square Church. Let's get comfortable and give it a listen. Hello, everybody. Uh, My name is Lamar Chandra Jackson, and I do have the privilege of being one of the directors of youth ministry at Madison Square Church. Uh, and I'm extremely excited to come talk to you guys today. Uh, so thank you for allowing me this opportunity, and I really believe that God has a word for you. So if you don't mind, I'm going to start by reading a the scripture, then I'll pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. The scripture I want to read is Psalms verse, or chapter 128, uh, verse 1, and then I'm going to read it in the message, verses 1 and 2. So that's Psalms chapter 128, verse 1. In the NIV, it says, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. And then in the message, it says, all you who fear God, how blessed you are, how happily you walk on his smooth, straight road. You worked hard and deserve all you've got coming. Enjoy the blessing. Revel in the goodness. Uh, Go before the Lord in prayer with me. Pops. I thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you move me out of the way. You allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me. Allow me to be your mouthpiece on this day. And allow me in all the meditation of my heart, and words of my mouth to be acceptable in your sight. You are my rock, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So first off, what I really want you guys to understand is that. We were conceived in love. Many years ago, I used to think a lot about when God decided to create us. Why did he do it? Was he lonely? Did he have nothing else or anything else? But that wasn't it. The best way I heard a pastor explain it to me once is that it's like when two people who are married and they decide, we really want to have a child. We want to have something to love, something to love on and to grow in love with. And that's why God created us out of love, not out of a sense of he needed something to stroke his ego, but something to love. That's important to realize in this message because the scripture I read talked about obedience to God. And we don't get there without understanding why he created us in the first place. So remember, it's about love. Secondly, relationship always changes the situation that you're in. I always put myself in this car crash scenario. I'm sitting at a red light and somebody smashes into the backside of me. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I'm just sitting at a red light. And there's two ways I see it. One, if I get out and there's a stranger behind me, I'm probably going to be pretty upset, at the very least. If I'm not ready to throw blows, I might be ready to yell. Just what is it that made you crash into me? Why? What's going on? But the flip side is, what if I get out and it's my mother behind me? And she's the one who crashed into me. Based on my relationship with my mother, it changes how I feel. I don't actually jump straight to anger. I might still be slightly angry, but I'll begin to think, well, maybe she was distracted. She's helping to raise four children right now after the three of me and my two brothers, and maybe she was sleepy from working all day. But I begin to give her the benefit of the doubt. For some reason, the relationship changes the situation for me. And that brings me to when God gives you a command, your relationship with him is actually how you receive it. Do I think that God is some mean dude who's really just trying to put rules in my life to restrict me from having fun? Or do I see it as he's setting these rules up to allow me to live life comfortably and to the fullest? There's a story in the Bible. It's one of my favorites that I actually want to express this idea to you with. And it's the book of Jonah. A lot of us may have heard this story before. Hopefully I can give it to you in a way that gives you some new information. In Jonah chapter one, God actually speaks to Jonah. And he tells him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, we gotta think about the relationship that Jonah has with the Ninevites here, because he sees these Ninevites as horrible people. They've done some of the most evil things in history. I love to tell people whenever I talk about the Ninevites is that if I ever told you everything they did, it would be a rated R sermon. It was pretty intense. These what these Ninevites did to people. So Jonah sees them as bad. He sees them as the other people because they're pagans. They don't believe in the same God that Jonah believes in. And so when God tells Jonah to go speak to them. Jonah is thinking, but wait, they deserve justice. And his idea of justice is they deserve what they get. They get what they should. So since they're bad, then they deserve to be killed. God, I don't think this is the right part of your plan. So Jonah does something pretty amazing. He runs away (laughs) from God. And he actually starts running from Nineveh to Tarshish is the goal. And it's actually in the complete opposite direction. And it's kind of to the edge of the world as he knows it. He's going as far away from God as he can. And so what he does is he goes to the city Joppa and he jumps uh, on this boat with a bunch of sailors And I love this part of the story because I love when the Bible starts to talk about sailors and fishermen and when they get on boats um, and then a storm comes and they always get scared and they go crazy. And I'm like, sailors, fishermen, they know about storms on the sea. Like, why would they be so scared all the time? But there was something unnatural about this storm because the Bible actually lets us know that what they start doing in the storm is... They start consulting all their gods. They start throwing all their cargo overboard. They're going crazy. And then the whole time Jonah is away sleeping. And they find Jonah. They shake him awake, I imagine. And they say to him, yo, bro, like, uh, don't you see we are about to die? Like, consult your God. What's going on? You shouldn't be asleep at a time like this. And so... Jonah gets up and then they decide to do something pretty interesting. The Bible says that they cast lots. Now we talk a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different theories on how they did it. They could have drew straws, they could have had a bag of rocks and the white rock, whoever pulls that out of the bag is the one that they're looking for. But the short part of the story is Jonah gets the short end of the stick. And this is amazing because they're not worshiping the God that we serve. They're worshiping all separate, different gods of all other things. And they call on the God of luck to find out where this storm comes from. And that tells me something interesting that my God is the God of luck because he's the God of everything. And he uses their means to reach them. So what happens is once they find out that Jonah is the guy, they say, yo, who are you, what set you represent, who do you claim, what people do you come from? He's like, yo, I'm a Hebrew, yada, 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 I worship the God who created the land and the sea. And they're like, so you worship the God of the sea and you ran away from him on the sea? Makes a lot of sense, Jonah, thanks a lot for putting us in this situation. So they say, what can we do to get your God to calm down? We don't wanna die. And so he tells them something extremely crazy. You have to really look at it. He tells them to throw him overboard. Now, what I don't hear a lot of people talk about in this moment is, Jonah is actually expecting to die. He's not expecting to be saved. He doesn't know, like we know the story, most of us, the idea that Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish. But Jonah doesn't know that in a moment. In this moment, all he's thinking is, throw me overboard, I'll die. And then I still won't have to go preach to those Ninevites. So Jonah sees this group as this other set of people. They're others. They're not like me. They're bad. They deserve everything that's coming their way. I would rather die than to see God change their hearts. This blows my mind. This is supposed to be a prophet, a man of God, a man that God speaks directly through. And he decides to say, kill me. Because then I'll die. And so will the Ninevites. But it's funny because all these sailors begin to grab their wits and they're like, "Um, no, we're not going to kill you. And I really believe that if Jonah would have just told them, hey, here's how we stop the sea, stop the sea from going crazy. We're just going to roll back and I'm going to do what God told me to do. And so they don't do that, but they actually just decide, yo, whoa, well, we're not going to kill you. Let's just row to shore somewhere and just go. And I imagine they probably went to the closest shore that they can find. They're aiming to go there. And then the Bible says that the storm gets worse. And they decide, okay, I see what's going on. This is between you and your God but they actually call out to God and they say, yo, don't let his blood be on our hands. We're not trying to kill him, but they throw him overboard. And then the sea calms down. This is another important part of the story because we see one of the biggest conversions of the Old Testament. It's interesting because a lot of the old prophets in the Old Testament would preach until they were blue in the face and nobody would change. It happens so often in the Old Testament. And that's when the prophets were being obedient to God. But Jonah's being disobedient to God. And after he gets thrown in the sea, all of the sailors on board actually repent and start worshiping God. They convert. Now, I'm not saying, yo, the way that we win souls is by disobeying God. That's not what's going on here. But it is important to note that God uses their circumstances to meet them. And that's what's going on. So we got to keep following Jonah, though. So Jonah gets thrown overboard and he's ready to die and he gets swallowed by a big fish. The Bible says a big fish We usually say a whale because that's something that we can kind of rationalize and understand. But for all my scientific people out there, the Bible doesn't say a whale and it doesn't say that he comes out through a blowhole in the end. It actually says that he was vomited on shore. But I wanna stop for a second in the big fish because the entire second chapter of Jonah is all about him being in the fish and he says his eight verse prayer. He was in this fish for three days and three nights and then he starts praying to God and if you read his prayer it's talking about how he understands that he was about to die but God saved him. So this fish isn't sent to punish him, the fish is actually sent to save him and he recognizes the miracle. And then he kind of tells God, okay, I get it. I'll go back and do what you told me to do. And that's when he gets vomited on shore. Once he gets vomited on shore, we get to Jonah chapter three. And at the beginning of Jonah chapter three, God tells him the message again. He gives him the pretty much the same mission from the first chapter, he says, go to Nineveh. But he doesn't say preach against it this time. He says, proclaim the message that I tell you. He changed it a little bit and another interesting part of the story. He goes to Nineveh. He decides to walk in about a day's journey into the city. And in Hebrew, he actually speaks five words. They call it Jonah's five-word sermon. And basically what it meant is that in 40 days, God is going to overthrow your city. And it's actually really interesting in how God uses this word because it can be meant as overthrown, overturned, and they probably perceived of it as being destroyed. And once again, the biggest conversion in the Old Testament happens from a prophet we imagine that he came and he spoke these five words real lackluster. Like he still didn't really care to save those people. And we find that out a little bit more in Jonah chapter four. But it, he just kind of says five words. It's like, yo, in 40 days, God's gonna take all y'all out. It is what it is, catch y'all later. But everybody starts to repent. And one of the biggest parts of the story for me is that the king actually gets wind of this word. And I can think of the king probably got that way by one of two things. One, he either was born a prince and raised to be a king and he never had to bow down to anyone. Or he fought, overtook lands and became a king and now he's so secure in his power that he would never bow down to someone again. Kings are the farthest from humility. Because they don't have to be. So he actually hears this message about Jonah saying that God's going to overthrow their city. And he does something crazy. He repents. He trades his crown for sackcloth and ashes. And in the Old Testament, what that meant was that they were lamenting. They were repenting. They were speaking to God saying, don't kill us. We will change. The king does something crazier still. He, he actually makes a decree that everybody has to fast not only that everybody has to fast, but also the animals have to fast. This blew my mind because I was like, if that happened today, Peter would have had a field day. Peter would have been going crazy, like, no, you can't make that dog not eat his dog food today. No, you know. So I think it's amazing that the king said even the animals had to fast. And he actually gives a mandate, it's kind of similar to like us having to wear a mask, you know, even though we might not really, you know, want to or whatnot. But the king actually ordered everybody to follow this fast where they don't eat food. So the entire town repents over 120,000 people. And finally, we get to Jonah chapter four. He actually goes out of the city. And I imagine he goes up on like a hill or a mountain where he can see the entire city. And he's still waiting, hoping that God's going to rain fire down and burn this city. He actually has a conversation with God and he's like, yo, God, I knew you were a God that's merciful. And if they started repenting, I I just knew that you would change and you wouldn't destroy them. I knew it. This is what he tells God in a prayer because he sees these people as bad. They're others. They're not like him. They're pagans. They don't worship the God that we worship. They're different. They deserve death. And so God actually has a conversation with Jonah. He says, Jonah, should I not care about lives being saved? Remember, God conceived us out of love, meaning that he loves each and every one of us. He loves us all individually, collectively as well, but he loves specifically you. So he's saying, should I not care about those people that I created as well? Should I not care about them, Jonah? Jonah? Jonah kind of blows it off. Nah, whatever. And he goes and he sits down and this kind of heat wave is coming and he's getting real hot and he's getting angry. And then God actually sends this plant that grows and it gives him shade. And metaphorically and literally Jonah cools off a bit. And then God sends a little worm and the worm actually eats the plant and then the plant withers. And then Jonah gets angry again And he's ready to go crazy. He actually told God before this, just kill me if you're going to save them. And then at this moment again, he's like, kill me. Just kill me, God. Just kill me. He really would rather die than see these people be saved. But God uses this plant to talk to Jonah and he asks Jonah, he says, yo, how can you care about this plant that you didn't tend to at all? You didn't water. You didn't provide sunlight. You didn't make it grow. But when it left, you cared about it. Should you care about it? And Jonah actually does something crazy. He's like, yeah. Really? And then God says, well, what about the people and the animals in this town of Nineveh? Should I care for them? And he asks Jonah that question, the 120,000 people. Should I care for them? That's how the book of Jonah ends, with a question. We don't actually hear Jonah's response. So why is the Bible doing this? I mean, God is pretty specific. He's planned and he's orderly. He knows what he wants to do. There's something about this this book of the Bible ending in a question mark. And I begin to understand that the book of Jonah is not actually about the conversion of the sailors. It's not actually about the conversion of the Ninevites. But the book of Jonah is a book about God chasing after the one sheep that's lost. The book of Jonah is about God chasing after Jonah's heart. Because in Jonah's heart, he sees himself as different from these other people. And God's saying, should I not care about these people? And actually, in the days back in these Old Testament times, when these people would read this letter of Jonah, it was meant for the Israelites, the people of Israel, the people of God. When they would read this, they were supposed to reflect and look at it and think of themselves as Jonah and think, should God actually care about the people who are not the people of Israel? It extends beyond just these people. Now, what does it mean for us today? Well, a lot of times when we look at people of Israelites, it's Christians today. And when we look at it, we should be able to look at this and reflect and say, should we only care about the people of the church? Is that all the people that God told us to care for? Or is he telling us to care for everyone? Who in your heart Have you thought about as other have you thought about as different as separate as someone who deserves justice, which is in this case to be destroyed? Who have I been straying away from? It's not just about did God give me a mission to go speak directly to a specific group of people. The thing is God gave us all the mission to love one another. One time he says, love each other as you love yourself. Later on, Jesus actually tells his disciples, love each other as I have loved you. And then right after that, he goes and he dies on a cross for them. He tells them no greater love can someone show than to die for someone else. And he tells his disciples to love one another like that. Hmm. Do I have people in my heart that I see as other that I'm not willing to die for. Maybe it's not always being literal like I gotta jump in front of a bullet or take a bus smashed into me and save somebody else's life. But maybe it's a mentality that needs to die within me. That because you're different than me, I don't need to show you love. Who am I keeping myself separate from? I wanna end with three wrap up points that I really want you guys to walk away with understanding. One, obedience to God's commands are for us to live life fully. God doesn't give you a command to cramp your style. That's not what God's doing. Time and time again, he's telling us to love each other. That's the command I want you guys to think about, the obedience of God that we need to have. In John 14, 15, he says, those who love me obey my commands. God says that we can show love to him by obeying his word. So let's love each other because that's what the word says. So obedience to God's commands are for us to live life fully because when we stop seeing everybody else's others and we start operating in a more unified sense, then we can have a more fullness of life. Every time when cultures come together, it can be hard, but you get the best of both cultures. That's something that you never would have experienced if you would have stayed by yourself before. God wants us to experience that. Every time I find somebody who worships differently than me. I don't sing, I do poetry, so I do poetry to worship God and then I find somebody else who sings who worships God, I realize that that's part of God in them and part of God in me. And God is so diverse that he represents all of us. And I can't see the full picture of God without having someone else outside of me. God wants us to live fully with each other. Point two, God very evidently has a heart for the others and for the broken. They're not always the same people. Because in the story, the others are the Ninevites and the broken is Jonah. In our lives, we might be the broken. Sometimes we might be the others. Who's overlooked in society? Let's think about those people. What is God calling us to do for those people? Maybe it's somebody Who wasn't born here. Maybe it's somebody who has a different skin color than me. Maybe it's somebody who comes from a very low economic background. But who are the people who are overlooked in society that God is saying, don't forget about those people. Care for them. And finally. The third point is, do not let your fear, your stereotypes, your prejudices, etc., stop you from forging connections with people because that's the body of Christ. The body of Christ is mobile. It's in the people. But no, one person represents the entire body of Christ. We need each other. And if we get that, I believe that we can live a more positive, strong, amazing life that's pleasing to God. I'm gonna leave you with this. When they asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus gave them this. He said, one, love God and put nothing above him. That's pretty much it. But he's like, I need to add something else to this though, just so you can get it all. He gives them a second and he says, love each other as you love yourself. He says, those are the two most important commandments. And at the end of that, he says, the entire law and the prophets Hang on these two commands. Meaning, if we can hold on to those two, then we've obeyed the 66 books in the Bible. Loving God, love each other. Don't forget to love yourself. Love each other as you love yourself. So keep that in mind. Let's live a pleasing life to God. God. We ask that you cement this word in our hearts. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other, but change us. Don't let us leave the same way we came. Make sure that we do not separate ourselves from everybody else or any type of other. Put a passion in our hearts to care for people that are outside of our circle. And teach us how to do that, what it looks like. Help us to build relationships with each other. We live in a world that isn't very unified. Help us to unify it. Because that is your mission that you've given us. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray and we thank you, Lord. Amen.